Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are sitting down with a legend in Halifax sports, sitting down today with the head coach of the Halifax Max, Tim Boyce. Tim, how's the day shaking out for you right now? Not too bad. How are you? You know what? Can't complain. The heat wave in Halifax is in full effect, but if you got AC, you're living the dream. Yeah, I definitely have a unit in my, uh, in my house, and it's been, uh, we've got two dogs, so it's been uh, getting uh, getting around quite a bit. <laughs> so I wanted to have you on, obviously. Within the Maritimes, we just got the bubble, you know, beginning of July, and hockey, obviously, is in front of mind for a lot of young folk here, and obviously a lot of fans. We have the Thunderbirds that are doing well. Obviously, the Mooseheads are here. We have yourselves with Halifax Max. Um, wondering for you, before we jump into your career and everything's going on, what do you think is going to happen this season for junior hockey throughout the Maritimes? It's funny, uh, we were talking with that uh, the other day, uh, the, co- uh, the coaching staff. Like, uh, I mean, I, I, I've heard like the BCHL is uh, postponed till December or January, and I think the CCHL has as well. And it sounds like the Maritime League is going to try and move forward uh, in October. Um, I don't know what uh, what their plan entails because I'm not privy to it, but uh, it'd be interesting to see if they're gonna if they're gonna play without fans because uh, obviously I know I've coached in that league. Uh, teams are are pretty uh, pretty reliant on uh, on the funds that come in from from the gate sales on, on a game to game basis. Yeah, I spoke with uh, Kevin Northup from Eastlink, and he was saying the same thing. A lot of the teams you look at, uh, even you know like the Cole Harbor Colts and everything like that, they're all gate driven. And especially the Q, it's not like the NHL where there's deep pockets. you got to make sure the fans are coming through the turnstiles and, you know, buying the concessions and doing all those little things. Um, do you think there's any kind of model that can be set up if they do not allow fans to kind of maybe do like a bubble sort of setup, you know, like the NHL has, just bring all the teams in and whatever province they have that in, maybe allow limited social distance fans. And I guess each game that these fans go to, you know, the proceeds of that game go towards those two teams on the ice. Yeah, I mean, you've heard you've heard rumors. I mean, I think uh, the Quebec League is kind of in the same situation right now. I think I read an article in The Guardian uh, yesterday in PTI that they're they're just kind of waiting for approval on what their uh, situation is going to look like. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, if they can get uh, approval for um, some socially distanced uh, seating and, uh, limited capacity, you know, if they can put, uh, you know, depending on the size of the arena, obviously, but if they can put somewhere between 250 and 500 fans in a, in an arena in a socially distanced, uh, setting for the, for tier two junior, you know, I think some of those teams can probably make a go of it, but, uh, it, it, it'll be tough. I mean, it'll be case by case basis. You know, it's interesting, you know, some of the teams in that league, uh, traditionally don't have large uh, crowds at their games where there's others that uh, you know are selling out and are putting 14 1500 or you know in Edmondson's case over 2000 a game in there so uh, I think it'll be it'll be tough it'll be case by case with each team on on who's going to be able to make a go of it uh, with limited fans so when you're looking at coming back obviously everybody has their own opinion on it for you what is the safest model and for Tim Boyce what does it mean for the young man that you're going to have on the ice what would you want in place for them to be able to come back safely, and obviously there's huge talk about Wave 2 coming. What needs to happen in your eyes to, to make it safe for all them and for you to feel comfortable having them on the ice? 
Yeah, the Midget League here, uh, we actually have a meeting tonight to discuss schedule. Um, I did some, some thoughts in on that, and I think we're going to discuss it tonight. But, uh, you know, I just think uh, there's a lot of different things you can do, and, you know, you take the lead from what some of the other uh, leagues are doing with the Quebec League, for example. Like, I think, uh, you know, a discussion for us is going to be strictly weekend games. Uh, play the same team twice, you know, no games during the week, so it gives you some time to kind of, uh, sniff out if anybody has is showing symptoms in between games and uh, trying to limit hotel stays and bus trips. So, you know, if you can schedule games, uh, typically we would play a Saturday night and a Sunday at noon. Um, you know, can you take that Sunday game and push it to 5 or 6 o'clock so teams can travel back and forth and not have to stay in hotels and uh, book buses and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of different things that we can do uh, as a league and, you know, obviously with the midget league here, it's not uh, it's not dependent on fans. Uh, you know, it's parent funded for the most part. So, you know, I think uh, as far as safety in that respect, I think there's I think there's a lot of different things uh, we can certainly look into and are, are going to have to look into uh, to make things uh, a go because it's it's something that's just not going away in the, the interim. So we're going to have to learn to live with it. No, it's definitely something that's not going to be going away anytime soon. And you look at all the projections and everything. It's only, uh, unfortunately, only the beginning of this is what they're saying. Um, has there been any concerns by any parents or players that have been brought to you, you know, saying, well, this, you know, might have to happen or that might have to happen? Or right now, is everybody kind of in a holding pattern, just waiting to see exactly what is said and done? Yeah, I mean, everybody's got questions. You know, is the league going to go? When is it going to go? If it is going to go, what's it going to look like? Uh, when's the start date? How many games are we going to play? things of that nature. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions, and I think uh, like Hockey Nova Scotia has done a really good job with their rebound plan and uh, communicating that out to uh, to their membership. And, you know, I think the bottom line with a lot of this stuff, it just it comes down to the, the public health uh, authority, you know, what, uh, what they think is right. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is just a game, and, uh, you know, this COVID-19 is not uh, not something to be taken lightly, and uh, you want to make sure that everybody's uh, everybody's safe. No, definitely. Well, safety and health is paramount, and, you know, I spoke to um, Dennis Bernstein. He covers the LA Kings, and we were just talking about prospects and development and, you know, how players, you know, this is a pivotal time for them, you know, when they go into these junior seasons to grow and learn, especially guys who are getting draft eligible for the NHL, but even in your league where they're getting draft eligible possibly for the Q. Um, I'm wondering for you, do you see if the league doesn't start until January or later, do you see that being a hindrance to players or is there enough in place nowadays where players are able to still grow and progress, you know, to the means that they would obviously not against competition, but still be able to sharpen their skills and, you know, get themselves to that next level level. So be it. Yeah, no, no question. I think, uh, you know, competition is competition, and there's no substitute for for playing in, in games. But I, you know, we just did a development camp uh, two weeks ago, and it was very small groups just due to the restrictions. Uh, I think we had uh, on each ice session two goalies, four defensemen, and six forwards with three coaches. And you know, the one thing I, I took away from it is I, I, it was a great format uh, to get up close and personal with each uh, each and every the uh, player that was on the ice. You get to spend more time interacting with these guys uh they get more reps uh you know the opportunity to just do more 
uh, individual skills in small areas, station work, things like that. Uh, it re- I really believe it benefited the players. So I think, you know, if, if we do run into a situation where the first couple months uh, we're not able to play games, I think there's definitely an opportunity as coaches, you know, if you're doing it right, uh, to improve the player as a whole um, through practices and small area games and things of that nature um, uh, that, we, that we're actually cleared to do. Well, no, it's good to hear that because I've had a few questions asked to me just because of some of the people that I get to talk to, and I'm glad I got to ask you that question as well. It's because a lot of people get concerned, and you wonder what's going to happen. And obviously being a fan myself of hockey, not only at the, the higher level but at the junior levels, I want to make sure that, you know, A, everybody's safe, but B, everybody's kind of filling in and getting what they need. So to hear the on-ice sessions with you guys and how it is a bit better, obviously, being able to have more hands-on approach with guys – that's great to hear and obviously for players it's probably good too because you always want that feedback constantly and maybe this is going to be an eye-opener not just for coaches but for players being able to maybe get into smaller camps and things like that throughout the summer or other months to sharpen their skills yeah yeah absolutely you know something that our staff talked about was uh, just as a takeaway you know i think it's it's something we really need to consider uh during the winter and it's something we're, we're really thinking about you know if we've got an 80 minute ice session uh you know for instance at st mary's on a wednesday night uh, and we've got access to the, the great hawk training gym there you know maybe we break that 80 minute session up into two 40 minute sessions uh with only 10 guys on per session uh, and then send the other half to the gym it's, uh, it's like i said it's a little more intimate a little more up close uh, guys are getting a lot more reps. It's a little more focused. Um, you know, I, like I said, I, it was just an eye-opener for me, and I thought it uh, worked really well. Well, no, it's something, like I said, we got to think outside the box now. Everything's going to be different, and if there is a second wave, obviously they can you know reduce numbers again. So finding these ways to make it work during this is what's going to have to happen, and if you're able to adjust on the fly and get it done right and safely, that's the main thing, and Obviously, the players probably took a lot away from it, but I want to ask you, before we jump into more hockey talk, what struck the match for you with hockey when you were young, and what got you into coaching? I know it's a two-part question, so feel free to take your time. <laughs> well, uh, hockey's been a part of my life uh, since I was a little guy. Like I, I grew up, and for people that don't understand Halifax or from Halifax, I grew up in uh, Fairview on Don Street, which is just across the street from Centennial Arena. Um uh, single parent family didn't have a lot of money um so literally uh you know kids were a lot of kids are going on family vacations and things like that i i was always i'd come home put my books down or on the weekend i'd run across the street and hang out at the uh the local arena there and uh there was a, a guy by the name of jack Pateri that uh, used to run the centennial arena for years he's passed away now and his son Stuart uh actually runs the arena now but uh he was kind enough to kind of uh, take me under his wing and all the staff were there too you know i think if anybody uh, asked uh, you know, probably one of the biggest rink rats in recent memory at that arena so i you know i've been around the game uh spending many hours as a young kid just not even on the ice just hanging out at the rink uh playing tape ball hockey or asking if i could help out uh, moving the nets and you know in summertime i'd be over there when people are vacation i would be in the rink playing ball hockey with older guys and uh you know asking uh, Stuart and john and the guys that work at the rink if there was a job we could do to help out around there so so 
it's been uh, it's been part of my life. Uh, to be honest with you, I think it kept me out of trouble. Uh, being able to go over there uh, on a regular basis and find things to do, um, you know, and I had a lot of different people that helped me uh, through hockey as, as a youngster with not a lot of money. So you know, there was a lot of families that kind of took me under under their wing and uh, on road trips and hotels and things of that nature. So. You know, it's it's given me a lot, uh, not only in the, in the game but uh, professionally as well. You know, a lot of the contacts I've made in in business, and uh, you know, some of my even some of my jobs have been uh, around some of the contacts I've made in, uh, in in the game. So, so I've always had a, a background in it. Um, you know, when I got into hockey uh, as a coach, uh, you know, I finished playing junior in my twenty year old year, and it was. Uh, it was tough, you know. You know, you want to play competitive hockey as long as you can. Uh, back then, in, uh, in the in the late nineties, uh, the game wasn't like it was it is now. Uh, nobody was looking for a five foot eight, hundred and forty pound offensive defenseman. So uh, they were still looking for the six four knuckle draggers that uh, carried a heavy stick. So um, yeah, I kind of used that at, at uh, the end of my junior career. Uh, it was a way to just stay involved and give back a little bit to the game that kind of gave so much to me. And uh, when I started, it was never really, uh, a, you know, I didn't have a goal in mind of where I wanted to go or, you know, how high I wanted to coach. It just, you know, I started in Adam AA one year and then uh, the next year QEH uh, High School, which is no longer uh, there, but uh, they started, uh, they wanted to start a program back up after 20 years of not having a high school hockey team. So I jumped in and helped out with that. And from there, uh, Jack Finley gave me an opportunity to jump into the Maritime Junior League as an assistant coach with Dean Hopkins and uh, spent three years in the Maritime League, uh, which was great. Uh, and I, I would say right around, probably right around the time that I joined the Maritime League, that was kind of when I, you know, I said to myself, you know, I, I really enjoy the higher levels, working with uh, kids that are trying to make the make the jump, uh, and you know, really want to be hockey players. Not that high school kids don't, but uh, you know, when you're when you're coaching at the higher levels, junior and midget, those guys really want to want to be a player. So, uh, yeah, after the after my tour in the Maritime League, uh, you know, I, I wanted to stay coaching at a high level, and at that time, the three coaches in uh, Metro were pretty established, so uh, took. Uh, Took a trip down the road to South Shore to coach uh, coach Major Midget down there, and uh, you know I had two great years down there. I think uh, up until this year, we uh, one of the seasons we had down there was probably one of the most successful in team history. I think we finished like third in the league. But uh, luckily uh, for me, uh, being alumni with the Max, uh, a job opening came up when uh, Kirk Tomlinson uh, decided to step away. Uh, applied, got the job, and and here I am. So, and it's been uh, it's been seven years, and uh, it's been uh, seven really enjoyable years. So you, you speak about going through you know high school and the Maritime League, and now to where you are. Um, obviously, there's huge differences between each of them, and the intensity level goes up. Like you mentioned about guys who are you know wanting to make the jump, and you know it's not that high school guys don't want to. It's just high school guys kind of have a different priority. And maybe high school hockey is just something they want to do as, a, you know, an extracurricular is what I did when I went to high school. And, you know, that's why I played football and every other sport I possibly could because it was available to me. Um, for you, 
what is the main difference though you know from each different thing that you've taken away um, coaching wise and player wise um, obviously everybody has different attitudes and different ways of doing things but you talked about the focus but what is another takeaway from each different level that you've seen yeah I think you hit the nail on the head with high school you know I, uh, I often say uh, a lot of the better teams in that league your top top line top line and a half uh, and could play major midget uh, just for whatever reason. Some of these kids, uh, you know, they've got other things going on. They're multi-sport athletes. They're just not that uh, not that keen with uh, with the game. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, when you're coaching high school, you got to kind of keep that in mind. Junior, I mean, junior for me was in the Maritime League, and I know a lot has changed uh, since back then uh, in that league, but. Uh, Again, I think it was just more managing personalities, dealing with twenty-year-olds. Um, you know, we had a lot of, I had a lot of issues to deal with when uh, when I was coaching in that league because uh, we had a team that just uh, couldn't couldn't even pay the bills. So, you know, there was uh, I think there was three different occasions where I showed up to the rink for games, and I had to we had to as a staff I had to talk the players to actually into playing the games because they were uh, they hadn't been paid in two, three, four weeks. Uh, which back then they were they're being paid in the Maritime League, but now I think they've cleaned that up. Where there's uh, there's no players being paid, so I mean that was that in itself was just uh, it was an, an eye-opening experience dealing with uh, with personalities and struggles and just every every day when you went to the rink it was it was a different issue uh, because the team just wasn't that well run. Um, but yeah, I mean midget. Uh, midget uh, has been great you know the, these guys are all chasing the carrot they all want to be hockey players you, you know you don't invest that kind of money and that kind of time at the midget level if you don't want to be a player and uh, that's what I've really enjoyed the most uh, you know when these guys are coming to the rink every day you know they've got goals in mind and you know they're they're focused and uh, you know they want to get better so that would uh, that would kind of be it I would say no, it's a pretty detailed response onto that one. And for me, I'm looking right now, and you're looking at junior hockey and the grassroots level as a, a development base for getting players ready, not only for the next level, but for the next stage of their lives. And, you know, a lot of emphasis has put in, been put on coaching staff and, you know, general managers and everyone to groom these young guys and gals, for that matter, you know, to be better prepared for life after the game and maybe even going into, you know, those higher levels. I'm wondering for you, the culture shift is, is starting. Um, have you noticed it, and what is something that the Halifax Max are putting in place to get these young men ready for the next step, whether it be off the ice or on the ice? Yeah, I think uh, just nowadays players are smarter. Uh, you know, they all, uh, you know, it's the world of technology and phones and uh, knowledge at your fingertips, being able to search uh, online. These guys are all smart. Uh, you know, they want to know the why uh, constantly when you know you're making decisions or you're doing drills and things like that. So I just I think a lot of it goes back to communication and relationship building with these guys. Uh, you know, being clear, being honest, being upfront, uh, making sure they understand why we're doing something, whether it's a drill or uh, whatever. You know, it might be a decision on uh, on lines or something like that. So just being clear, being being up front, uh, being honest with these guys, and 
you know, I think uh, just having a plan for each individual guy uh, is important, you know, understanding uh, what their strengths and weaknesses are and making sure that you're putting these guys in the uh, the right roles on the ice to have success and, uh, you know, working on their weaknesses to become better hockey players. You know, I think one of the things we've done really well is, you know, we've over the years consistently rolled our lines. It uh, doesn't matter if you're killing penalties or uh, – playing on the power play and I think at the midget level you know I think if you're if you're clear in your direction and and what you're trying to accomplish on the ice as a as a unit on the power play especially at the midget level I, you know I think you can find a role for almost every guy on your team uh, you know and I think uh, you know whether it's just something as simple as uh, being a net front guy maybe you got a guy on your line one of your lines that's uh not the best, uh, not the best puck handler, but uh, you know he might have uh, a willingness to stand in front of a, a slap shot, or you know he might have some good hands in tight. So just understanding each player, understanding their strengths and weaknesses, and trying to build uh, build lines and, and things of that around their their strengths, so you can kind of maximize each guy's potential and make sure that they feel like they're a part of it. No, that is, um, you know, the, the crux of it right there and making sure everybody fits in. You know, I had uh, Paul Day of the the Philadelphia Wings for lacrosse on last week and we were talking about just building a team where players fit like you were just talking about there. And I asked him the question. I want to ask you this too because it's a great one. There's players that have all the talent in the world, but for whatever reason, character-wise, um, I'll use Phil Kessel as an example, you know, kind of a bad attitude at times or rubs people the wrong way, but has all the talent in the world and can fill the net with pucks. Um, for you, if you're looking at a talented guy next to, like you just described, a guy that would go in front of the net, block the shots, and do all the character things, and you know, be a good locker room guy too, if you had to decide between the two to have on your team, which one would you want to build around more so? I know skill wins out most times, but nowadays we're seeing that character and those kind of things are valuable to teams. Oh, listen, you, you, yeah, character 100%, and I, I, I've made that mistake probably six six seven years ago you know i would gamble on a guy with skill um and you know think that you can you can change him and the reality is you know you, you can't uh like if, if somebody's a bad seed they're a bad seed and um you know i would much rather take a guy with uh, work ethic and character and is a good person and try and work on building those skills uh because just takes one guy to be an energy drainer uh you know one guy can be an energy drainer for the guys on the on the bench you know the team he can be an energy drainer for the coach coaching staff you know you just you don't want to be going to the rink every day have to deal with a problem uh, you know and I, i've had a couple of those that i I've, I've gambled on and got burnt on over the years so uh you know i think character first and foremost uh has to be because you know the end of the day when you get into those tough games and playoffs you got to know that you got 20 guys that are, are bought in and they're got each other's back. So, yeah, one one thousand percent character. No, and that goes a long way, you know, for young guys who are, you know, thinking that they may not have a place on a team because they don't have a hundred percent skill all the time, and you know they're willing to do those dirty things. But sometimes you hear teams or players or whatever on other teams say, you know what, we don't need the character guy. You know, we need the guy that can put the puck in the net or whatever, you know. And the same thing happened, you know, the Maple Leafs, they went out and got Phil Kessel, but he didn't exactly uh, ignite the room, right? There's a lot of divide there. So I use him as my example. You know, I shouldn't always put him down, but it's just an easy one to go to. 
Um, for you, for, for junior hockey, and you look at everything that goes on and into it, um, what is the, the biggest thing you could tell a young guy or gal who is trying to take the next step into the next leagues? And what is one thing you would say they should focus on and drive themselves towards to, uh, to ensure themselves a look at the next level? Yeah, I, we tell our guys, uh, you know, we constantly focus on it is just being a complete player, uh, the finer details. It's not all about uh, how many points you can put up and how many pucks you can put in the net. You know, I think, you know, if you can't play in your own end, um, you know, you're not going to last very long at the next level. And, you know, just when you go into training camp, you got to do something to be noticed. Um positively right like you know some guys will go into camp and won't do the extra work you know block the shots and take hits and drive the net and take the cross check and walk away sort of things like just you know i think those uh, those little things are important when guys go to that next level trying to get noticed especially if you're a guy that's not uh you know highly touted like you know everybody knows your your first and second round picks get a little bit more leeway when they're going to going to junior camps but uh you know as a guy in the mid to late rounds you you got to work extra harder you got to do you know you got to be willing to do the things that some guys aren't willing to do and your details have to be that much better because uh you know you're not uh, you're not coming into a camp as as heralded as some of the some of the higher picks so just yeah just being a, a complete player in all zones i think is is really important now, there's a lot of young people who listen to this, especially in the, the Halifax area, who want to get into the off-ice side of things, you know, coaching or, you know, just skill development, things like that. For you as coming up through a coach, you know, what was the first thing that you'd say you learned and that was valuable that you've taken with you the entire way that someone who's trying to break in can use that knowledge and take it with them as a base? You know, honestly, just uh, be yourself. Uh, you know, I don't try to pretend to be somebody that I'm not, you know, sometimes I may rub people the wrong way and, uh, you know, if you've got opinions, you, you know, you got to stick to them. Uh, that would be the biggest thing. Uh, the other thing I would say is just do everything with a purpose. You know, nowadays you're seeing all these guys online with, uh, crazy Instagram drills where they're stick handling with their head down for five minutes and, uh, you know you're at, sitting there asking yourself like what's the purpose of this you know how does it translate to a game um you know i think that stuff has uh, some value but uh, i think you got to be able to tie it in with a purpose and a translation into the game and uh, a lot of the time some of the stuff i'm seeing i just i just don't see that yeah <clears throat> i think it was um uh, it was either jerome ginlow or mike commodore who said um i don't get what the point is of stick handling through a yard sale how is that going to uh, translate to anything on the ice? And it was this guy who was just threw a whole bunch of random stuff on the ice, and he was just dipsy doodling through it all. And I understand stick handling in tight spaces, but something like that is just a little bit uh, out there. And it goes to what you just said. It was basically about a four-minute video of him going from one end to the other, head down, just going through all these little dips and dallies. It was crates and pucks and sticks and gloves and everything you could think of. So. I don't see that translating as well. Maybe maybe working on your hands a little bit, but I think there's better suited drills for that. Yeah, no question. I think the age of the millennials, they all love uh, social media and they love to see themselves. And uh, like I said, it may look may look cool, um, but again, like tie it back to a purpose. What uh, you know? How does it translate to a game? You know, what is what is the va- the true value of it? Well, we'll switch gears here for a second. I'm going to wrap up with you not too long, my friend, but 
the NHL has come back. Obviously, we've had the exhibition games go on. There's a few more happening. And then this weekend, we kick off the big shebang with 52 games in nine days. Is there a team that you have your uh, your rooting hat on for, or are you just happy that hockey's back? <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, I'm, a Leafs, I'm a Leafs fan, so I'm obviously rooting for the Leafs. Uh, well, you're on the I've right got, show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got uh, two former players uh, that are currently with the Colorado Avalanche and Shane Bowers and Brian Graves, so I'm kind of secretly rooting for them. Uh, and my pick... Uh, for the Stanley Cup final was Tampa versus Dallas, so I'm all over the map, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, listen, I, I would love it to be the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Colorado Avalanche, you know, obviously with Nate being there and now the two guys that you mentioned as well, and I'm a diehard Leafs fan, so I want to see them go all the way, and it would be the year for them to do it with no fans, no parade, no fanfare, nothing. It'd be the leafiest way to win, and the entire league can say, hey, you have an asterisk next to this because you didn't really win a cup you won a tournament. <laughs> so everything is built in there for everybody to chirp the Leafs. They don't even have to make up anything. It's all there, set in stone. Just win the cup, Leafs, and now we can make fun of you easily. I'll take the asterisks if they win the cup. I'm okay with it. <laughs> 100%. Well, there's a, a gentleman who got this all set up today, and it was Jamie um, Anesty. And I basically, he wanted me to ask you one thing before I let you go today. He wanted me to ask you, he said, got to ask Tim about the brawl at the forum, he said it never gets old. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, so. My, as I mentioned, I, I jumped onto the Wolverine staff as an assistant coach with Dean Hopkins, uh, my first year in the league, and then Dean stepped down uh, after that year, um, and I was named the head coach, uh, which I thought was uh, was wonderful. You know, a young guy, you know. Obviously, it was quite full of myself back then, and thought I knew more than I actually did. And uh, anyway, I was I was definitely over my head at that point in time. Uh, even given the circumstances, you know, it wasn't a great uh, wasn't a great environment for a young coach or young players. To be honest with you, it was just you know, we were selling players off just to pay the bills, and uh, it was just wasn't wasn't a great run organization. Um, anyway, the, the the whole gist of it was. Uh, we had a really tough team. We weren't very skilled, but we had a very tough team. We had lots of guys that could handle themselves. And uh, We were over in Summerside for a game, and uh, Derek Fulton, one of our players, a uh, great young man, you know, he wasn't wasn't one of the guys that was, uh, you know, a, a fighter or anything like that, but he took a pretty bad hit from uh, this uh, 20-year-old D-man, last name was McKinnon, um, hit to the head, basically gave him a bad concussion, knocked him out for... Uh, Actually, I don't think he even came back to play, like ended his hockey career. And uh, back then, uh, you know, the league was a lot tougher and fighting, the rules against fighting, they really weren't there. It was still pretty wide open, so you'd see a lot of fights um, every game. And uh, we had Kirk Forrest on our team, uh, and people who follow the Mooseheads would remember Kirk, you know, obviously big, strong uh, kid at the time and could certainly handle himself and you know fighting was probably if, if anybody asked fighting was his forte so uh, I don't think he had played yet that year um, he was having back problems but uh, anyway I, I got a text we were, we were playing Summerside I think it was a it was Tuesday or Thursday they were in town in Halifax and everybody was talking about retribution retribution and it really wasn't 
on my mind uh, a whole lot because that just wasn't the way I coach or wasn't something that I did when I played. So uh, Kirk uh, sent me a text and told me that, uh, you know, he got cleared by physio that afternoon. He was going to dress that night. So, you know, uh, you know, everybody was talking about it when we got to the rink and I could hear the guys in the dressing room talking about it. Um, you know, I never had a conversation with Kirk about it, but, you know, obviously figured that Kirk may approach in the game to, uh, to drop the gloves. And there was a face-off. Um, it was in the second period because we were down, uh, down by the Zamboni doors uh, at the forum. And uh, McKenna was on. We had last save, so I put Kirk out. Um, honestly, didn't even realize who else was on the ice, but uh, we had like Ben Chase on, who you know played a little bit in the Quebec League. Jeff Marshan, um, you know, these were guys that could could definitely handle themselves in uh, in a fight. And uh, TJ Keeping was in goal. So uh, anyway, the puck was dropped, and uh, Kirk wasn't the swiftest skater, but uh, as the puck was dropped, it was it was almost like it was in slow motion. Like Kirk just kind of started inching out to. Uh, to McKinnon uh, on the point, um, and uh, I think it was probably it was six or seven steps before McKinnon really realized that Kirk was coming for him, and when he did, uh, McKinnon turned around and just beelined it to his to his bench, uh, and Kirk just started chasing him. And uh, when when McKinnon got to the bench, he jumped into the bench uh, to get away from Kirk because Kirk was pretty pretty tough guy, probably top three in the league if not number one. Uh, and when uh, when McKinnon jumped into the bench, uh, Kirk was just standing at the bench, and you know, he was throwing a few punches and, and all that. And I was on the bench, just thinking to myself, "Okay, well, you know, nothing's going to happen to this." McKinnon ended up in the bench, uh, and out of uh, out of nowhere, uh, unscripted, uh, Ben Chason just comes out of nowhere and Superman dives, uh, literally hands and head first into the middle of the Summerside bench and uh, he gets up and when he gets up he just starts swinging uh, in the Summerside bench it was like right in the seas, uh, left and right um, and, and the Summerside trainer was actually on the bench and uh, he was swinging uh, there was a couple other players that were swinging and uh, next thing I know TJ Keeping our goalie left his crease and was down the other end uh, and dropped the gloves and uh, put a pretty good beating on their goaltender. And Jeff Marshan was buzzing around looking for somebody to fight. And at this point, it was just it was complete pandemonium. Like uh, when when Ben jumped into the bench, it, you know everything kind of got amped up uh, a couple levels. And I'm standing on the bench, and I, uh, Paul Ross was on the bench at the time. Uh, thank God he wasn't on the ice. And Paul was a little guy, but he was a like a firecracker. He didn't he would fight anybody, um, and he he tried to jump over the board. So I had Paul by I had my foot on the door, keeping the door shut. I had Paul in another hand. Uh, I had, the, had him by the collar, and and he was he was so angry, like there was tears coming out of his eyes, and he looked at me and just screamed, "Let me go, let me go!" And he wouldn't uh, I wouldn't let him go. So I kept him on the bench, but I looked down at the D door and. Our defense coach at the time, Luke Young, uh, he was a pretty tough guy when he played uh, and didn't mind dropping the gloves. He had the door open, and he's pushing guys through the door to go fight. And I'm screaming at him. So I've got Paul in one hand, I've got my foot on the door, and I'm looking at my assistant coach, screaming at him, yelling, like, shut the door, like, you can't do this. 
anyway, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it was crazy. Uh, finally, cooler heads prevailed. Ben got out of the bench. Kirk came over. TJ stopped fighting. We got Jeff over to the bench. And uh, anyway, it was just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, some of the stuff that I, I dealt with and saw in that league, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm prepared for anything now because uh, <laughs> it was just uh, some of the stuff that I dealt with uh, that year and uh, the couple of years in that league, it was just, I could probably write a book on it, to be honest with you. Well, that is something <laughs> I hope you do, because that story right there would be one that people would want to hear again and again and again. That was absolutely awesome. I wish I was there to see that. And you know what? Here's the thing. I mean, we talk about, you know, the knuckle graggers and all that stuff in hockey now, but you look at it, when a fight happens in hockey or things like that happen, everybody's on their feet. Everybody gets amped up. You talk about your assistant coach that you have by the collar. I mean, tears in his eyes, you know, wanting to get in there. And, you know, just the, the player instinct comes back over you and wanting to go. And, you know, it's if there it was a packed house, imagine that. Fans would be going crazy. Just just the thought of it. I mean, it gets you excited, right? I mean, it's, it's fun things like that. And it creates rivalries too, so... But, I mean, like you said, in that league there, you've, you've seen it all, done it all, and now you're prepared for everything. Um, hopefully none of that happens, you know, when you're the coach of the Max or when you move your way on up the ranks. But you never know, you know, sometimes tempers boil over, and next thing you know, you're Mike Billbearing somebody with a shoe. So Yeah, I don't expect I'll see uh, anything of that nature again in my entire life. <laughs> uh, it, was, uh, yeah, it was definitely once in a lifetime uh, yeah, it was Mike Milbury, actually, good point. He was on TSN. He called me, uh, called me a Neanderthal on, uh, on national TV, which I found funny because, as you mentioned, you know, he was actually up in the stands trying to beat, beat somebody with his own shoes. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of room to talk. No, at least he, yeah. you were trying to keep the peace and, you know, trying to get cooler heads to prevail. So, you know what, things like that happen, though, especially with players. I mean, you look at it, they get into a brawl, and they, I, the one that comes to mind all the time is where they turn the lights out against Canada and Russia. You know, just that brawl there, both yeah. teams getting disqualified. I mean, you guys didn't go that far. I mean, everything did prevail. Yeah. Everybody calmed down. But, yeah, Mike Milbury telling somebody they're a Neanderthal, I think he needs to park himself. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, it, it's an emotional game. It's an intense game. I think, uh, honestly, uh, you know, people talk about, players being able to police themselves on the ice i think there is a a place for it I, you know i don't think uh you know the setup fights where they're dropping the gloves off the face off or you know the jumping into the benches or the, the brawls like I, I don't i don't think there's a place for that in the game but i, I do i do believe that uh, it has helped keep uh, keep players accountable for sure uh, over the years no definitely well i had brent sopel on last week and we were talking about you know the trip to the stanley cup and he just he said when he played, the thing was, you know, if you did something ratty or silly or stupid, you know, they would call you out for it. And if you wouldn't answer the bell, then you'd answer the bell to your teammates in the room. And nine times out of ten, guys wanted to answer the bell on the ice because they didn't want to face the backlash from their teammates. And, and he said nowadays, you know, guys are getting away with a lot more. And then the guys that jump in and try to, you know, have that fighter, you know, set the tone, they're looked at as the bad guys now, which it shouldn't be because you want to be able to have that policing where the refs sometimes don't see everything or don't call everything. You want to make sure nobody's taking liberties, especially we're talking about skilled players like smaller guys, like a Mitch Marner or Johnny Gaudreau. You want to make sure that there's somebody on the ice to protect them. And, you know, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, for a while we didn't have that. And now we got Kyle Clifford, and 
to a man, you look at the Leafs players, they all stood about an inch taller once Kyle Clifford was acquired. You look at Kasperi Kapanen, the snarl was backing him. He was going after people, same with Andreas Janssen. So, you know, that aspect of the game is definitely there. And it doesn't have to be a guy that just fights, like you said, like the stage ones. But the guys that can score or do a little bit of the shot blocking and all the other stuff that goes into it, like a Tom Wilson, you know, those kind of players, that has a spot in the game. And it, it should be there because otherwise, like Brian Burke said, you get the rats. And the next thing you know, they're slew-footing guys or doing things like Marshan does to some people sometimes. And it goes unchecked, and it just gets worse and worse. So I like that aspect. I hope it doesn't fully ever go away, but it looks like it is going the way of the Dodo Bird. Yeah, no question. (laughs) Well, Tim, I want to thank you very much for taking the time, and I really look forward to hopefully having you on closer to when the season does start and to talk about the boys coming on the ice and what to look forward to for the Halifax Max season. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. So as you heard, that was Tim Boyce of the Halifax Max. He is the head coach. We talked about the brawl at the forum, player development, and obviously running through a whole bunch of different things throughout the leagues that he has been in. So that was a fun chat. Be sure to check out Offside Hockey Talk every single week. We are proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foam, check out msfi.ca today by Highland Custom Builders, your vision built custom and of course by mbko the official merchandise and apparel provider of offside hockey talk all right guys that's it for today take her easy